Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. For up-to-date information and ways to get involved, please visit us at classiccity.org. Good morning. How are we doing out there? Great, great. If you have a Bible, turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians. And while you're turning there, let me um, briefly just share something with you. This is our, um, we've got a new mic, so am I doing this Okay. We are um, you, always the first, Febu- first Sunday in February every year. We have sort of a brief business update, and we go over a couple things. So I'm going to take a few minutes just to do that and catch up. If you look on the back of your bulletin, let me just piggyback on the announcement that was made about our elders and deacons, our, our church government. The way our church works, we have a real simple approach to church government. Uh, one is we believe God owns the church. He's the one who created the church. He's the one that brought this particular church together, and we believe that and we acknowledge that. Um, The senior pastor is the leader of the church. The senior pastor leads the church. We have elders that are governing over the church. The senior pastor works with them. The senior pastor leads the eldership, but he is submitted to their authority. I am under the collective authority, the direction of the church is under the collective authority of eldership. Uh, We have deacons that administrate the church. Every offering we get, uh, we set aside 10% of those offerings for world missions. We set aside 3%, an additional 3% that go to help the poor. And our deacons are the ones that oversee that. Also, there's a group of deacons that oversees the actual administration of our budget. So we, we have that separate from the eldership, which is more concerned with ministry, but we have those things uh, involved. So we have a deacons that administrate the church. And then lastly, we, our staff runs a church and our membership builds up the church. It's you guys that really make the church grow. It's your involvement. It's what you do. It's your outreach. It's your, your commitment to this church. It really helps it build and helps it grow. So that's kind of our our mantra there. So every year at this time, we take nominations for two of our church officers. Uh, one is our eldership and one is our deacons. Let me quickly introduce our elders that are here today. Would you guys just stand up? I know Bernie's here. Is Wayne, are you here? Uh, Mark Newton could not be here. Peter's over here and Ryan Brinson over there in the back. There's the six of us along with Mark, who's not here today, are the eldership of the church. We meet once a month and we... Uh, just discuss the church. We have a, a great meeting, and we just—that's kind of our decision-making body. Also, we have deacons. If you're a member of our deacon team, would you stand up? Uh, just stand up. We—I don't mean to embarrass you here, but these guys here are Chris and John. Jana is the leader of the deacons. Raise your hand, Jana. Chris here. Nate, are you standing up there? Okay. And then is that Mitchell in the back? Is that correct? I hope I'm not missing anybody. A few aren't here today, but Marissa's not here, and I think Carmen, I don't think Carmen's here, but these guys meet, and they basically administrate um, our resources that are designated for missions and for benevolence. Being being a deacon's the funnest job in this church, by the way. You just basically give money away. It's a really, really delightful thing to do. Um, And let me encourage you guys also. I know last year we were really blessed 
Uh, we had 13 former church members, many of them were students, that went into full-time ministry last year. We were able to support them, and we, we give to them. We had several of our students and several of our young people uh, that were going on mission trips, and we were able to support them. If you're uh, involved in this church, and you're either going into full-time ministry or you're going on a mission trip to do some kind of ministry, hey, we want to be involved. We want to give into you. We want to sow into you, and we're, we're your church family. And so if that's you, man, please let us know. Please email the missions department and, uh, at the church and just submit a form, and, and we want to be involved with you in that way. So that's how our church um, is governed. This time every year during the month of February, we take nominations from our church. If you think anybody would be a great elder to lead in that way or someone be a great deacon to lead in that way, uh, please uh, submit their name and we will, we will go from there. Also on the back, you'll see our financial update. And um, this has really been a, we've had a great year. We um, uh, were recovering from COVID for two years, which was really very, very tough on us financially. And this is really good news. If you look at the update, our income, we do our our um, fiscal year from July to June every year. And so our um, income from since July through the month of December was $420,000. Internally, that was about $285,000. That means from our own church offerings. Externally, from different friends and people outside that helped support our church, we had another $135,000 come in. Our expenses this year was have so far been 424000 so we're running on a slight deficit of about $4,600. Um, our income this year uh, was 169000 more than the actual income through December of last year, uh, which is about a 67% increase. Now, there was a real large gift that helped inflate that number, but even without that large gift, our giving's been up about 30% uh, so far this year, and we, I just am very grateful, very thankful to you guys and, and the Lord for, for that reality. Um, this is just our financial position. We have um, unrestricted cash. We have over $400,000 available. In our opportunity fund, we started an a opportunity fund that one day we want to go toward one day purchasing a long-term facility for our church, and that is at $312,000. We have donor-restricted monies of about $42,000, and our total cash is about $756,000. So that's a brief picture of where we are financially. Um, it has been an incredible ride through COVID. I remember one Sunday being right there during COVID before we moved back into this facility, so it was several months beforehand, and there were probably 60 people in the service at the most, all moaning worship songs through mask, if you remember that. And, and it was just, and I just remember thinking, Lord, are we ever going to get back to where we were? We're ever going to get back to a where we used to just fill this place up and we were financially, we were doing great. And it was just, I'm, I was going, Lord, are we ever going to get back? And there was a really great song that came out. Um, called Do It Again. And that song was, we started singing right then, and I thought, oh, that's exactly my prayer. The lyrics go, I've seen you move, you move the mountains, and I believe we'll see you do it again. You made a way when there was no way. 
and I believe we'll see you do it again. And so I remember just feeling like the Lord put on my heart that once we moved back in here, that within a couple years we'd be back crowd-wise where we were, which has happened, which is awesome. And I felt like it would be another year before we'd be back financially where we were, where we have margins and we're bringing in more than we're, we're um, spending, which is we're moving in that direction. So it's really, really exciting. Um, I, I just want to thank our elders, too. I, I, when we were going through some really tough times financially, I mean, these men didn't freak out. They didn't panic. They didn't want to slash everything. They, they really said, well, let's just pray. Let's get together and pray. And they really prioritized prayer during a crisis, which is kind of an amazing thing for a, a church to do. And I'm so thankful for them. And, and I'm just so thankful for our, our deacon staff. I know Chris, who oversees the budget. Um, he was in that meeting, and he said, listen, I don't want to see us compromise missions. He said, I've never been in a church that gave 10% to missions and gave percentage of income to the poor. I don't want to compromise that. Let's believe God. Let's not do that. And, and I remember our deacons. I remember leaving that meeting, and our deacons were meeting. Jane, I don't know if you'll remember this, but you were at the uh, table with a group of you, and they were giving money away. And Jana was like going, we're, we're going to give. And she didn't know what we were meeting about upstairs. And she's like, man, we have requests. We're so excited about giving. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, you're giving money away. And we're, I remember walking by. And I, I literally remember walking by the, the room where they were in. And there's like these two sliding. If you've been to the ministry center, it's a really cool uh, house, by the way. But there are these two um, sliding glass doors in their, their um have a pain on them. And you can see through them. And she and that team were at the table just praying and deciding. And I walked by and thought, well, I, you know, I'm the pastor. I ought to wave at them. And, it, and I wave and no one even noticed me. They were so locked in on pursuing the Lord and giving and everything. I, I remember that. And I, it's been it's such a, you have so many neat moments when you pastor a church like that. And I'm just so very grateful, so grateful for where we're going and really, really excited about our future. Very thankful to all you guys for your participation in it and you guys that are watching online. We are um, we're moving forward. So that's, that's that. I wanted to give you that update. Again, I wanted to just thank you uh, for your generosity and for your prayers and, and just the, the team this is that really helps make this church work and help makes this church happen. So if you have a Bible, again, we're in, we're in Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And what I want to do, let me read this this passage to you. Then we'll go through it and, and catch up on it. But verse chapter 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 says this. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one will be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, I kept telling you we would be persecuted, and it turns out that way, as you well know. For this reason, I could stand it no longer. I sent to find out about your faith, because I was afraid that, some, that in some way the tempter may have tempted you and our labors may have been in vain. But Timothy has come to us from you and has brought good news 
about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in your presence, in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Verse 11, now may the God and Father himself of our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Now again, let me give you the, the background of this passage so you kind of know what Paul's saying and why he's saying it. If in this particular letter, the first three chapters are kind of a personal note that he writes to these guys and just kind of tells us his heart and he's really rehearsing and remembering what they went through in the initial beginnings of the church. In chapters 4 and chapters 5, he's going to talk a lot more about theology and some of the, the issues they're facing. So the background's not as critical, but I want to just briefly again go over the background of, of, of this story. Uh, the story began when Paul and a, a guy named uh, Silas and Timothy were praying and seeking the Lord about where to go and do missions. And they had a dream, Paul did. And in that dream, he had a vision of a man from a region called Macedonia who asked him to come and help us. Now, back in those days, if you look at a map, the Roman Empire um, was huge. And it was, there's the, Medit the Roman Empire is sort of geographically structured like this. There's the Mediterranean Sea. And there's about four other bodies. In fact, five of the ancient seven seas were right connected in that area. And the Roman Empire basically surrounded that huge body of water. It, it was southern Europe and middle part of Europe and all the way through northern Africa. It just surrounded it. And when they conquered this whole area, Rome divided it into 46 provinces, the same way we might think of a state. And Macedonia was one of the provinces. It was where the Greek Empire had been before. And so Paul saw this vision to go to Macedonia, and he was you know, convinced, hey, that's where I need to go. And so he went there. The first city he went to was Philippi. It was a large city in Macedonia. He got a church going there. It was a very brutal experience, but he got a church going there. And then he went to this place, Thessalonica, where this letter is written. And what he did, and this is, all, this is what he did every time he went somewhere. He would go to the Jewish synagogue, and he would first start with the Jewish people. And he would share with them how Jesus was the Messiah prophesied about in the Old Testament. And he would persuade them. And sometimes uh, several Jews would believe, sometimes just a few. In this situation, just a few of the Jews believed. But in that synagogue also were not just Jewish people, but they were Gentile people. They called them God-fearers. Those are Gentiles who had been raised in paganism, but who just didn't buy it, didn't like it, were appalled at the morality of paganism, and they basically converted to some extent over to Judaism. They believed in monotheism, and they believed that the law and the morality of 
Judaism was just superior to what they had been raised with. Now, the God-fearers, the Gentiles that were in those synagogues, heard the preaching of Paul and Silas, and they were like, they overwhelmingly believed and became Christian. And then also in that synagogue, there were prominent women, women that were leaders, people of, 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 that were married to successful guys, they themselves had successful businesses, women that were prominent, they also believed. So the early church in Thessalonica was made up of a handful of Jewish believers, a lot of Gentile believers, and some prominent women. And these Gentile believers particularly started sharing their faith with their Gentile friends, and several of them were coming to Christ. And so this went on for just three weeks, and this church was really happening. But what happened, the Jewish leaders were so upset about you know, this new thing, and they didn't like Paul's success, and they didn't like what was going on, and they didn't agree with it theologically. So they created a, a real problem. They went to the local magistrate and tried to say that Paul was trying to preach and promote a new king over Caesar, which would have gotten him crucified. And they just went after him pretty ravagely. In fact, they went to the home of the person he was staying with, a guy named Jason, and when Paul wasn't there, they just took Jason in. And Jason got, uh, you know, had, had to go and pay a fine and do all these things. And so Paul saw what was going on. He saw how the vitriol, and they saw where, that he was really putting these new Christians in harm's way. And he just said, look, i got to get out of here. And so he left. He and his team left. So they had a church that was exploding in three weeks, and they had to leave it. And so Paul went then to Berea, this place called Berea, and he was having great success there. And then the Jewish guys that were his opponents in Thessalonica followed him there, created the same problem, so he had to leave there. And so then Paul went to Athens. And there in Athens, he preached and he started a church. He got it going. He got a new church going. Named it Classic City Church, by the way. And um, that's what church historians say. It's not in the Bible, but I, that's what I've heard. But anyways, he, named, he, he got this church going, and he's, while he's there, he tells Timothy, hey, look, go back to Thessalonica. I, I just, I'm just worried about these guys. It was three weeks. We don't know what's going on with them. And so Timothy goes back to Thessalonica, and he gets to them, he meets with them, and he finds out, wow, these guys are doing great. I mean, the gospel is spreading more and more. And yeah, there's some trouble and some trials and some persecution. But man, they are, just, they are just eating it for lunch. All the trouble, all the trials, everything coming at them, they are just, they are going through it. And, and so Paul was like, man, he was overjoyed. So he wrote this letter to him. And in this letter, he just, the very first part, the first three chapters, he is, the first part of it, he is just thankful and he's excited and he is complimenting them and he's praying for them and this is the close of that part of the letter and so let's read let's let's kind of look through what we've just read and kind of analyze a little bit so if you look at chapter 3 verse 1 he says we could stand it no longer he's explaining you know what was going on he said we, we sent timothy our brother our co-worker in god's service and spreading the gospel to strengthen and encourage your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For we know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were together, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And in turn, out of 
that way, as you well know. For this reason, we could stand it no longer. I sent to find out about your faith, and I was afraid that in some way the tempter may have tempted you, and that our labors might have been in vain. Now, Paul is here talking about something that is true of a new church. It's true of a new Christian. It's true in every one of our lives. There is a faith battle that we are experiencing. When you give your life to Christ, whether you've been a Christian for a, a, a day or whether you've been a Christian for years, you enter into a battle for faith. It's a faith battle. And in this, we see there's three things that fight and oppose our faith that he mentions in this. Number one is trials. Trials. Trials are simply just tough things that come against you. They're bad circumstances. We all experience them in life, but there are trials that are, are there, and they're, they're just to upset you, to impede your faith. They're just to make your life tougher, to make it harder to work. Tragedy, difficulty. That's just something we experience in this life. Trials and difficulty. The second thing that Paul talks about there is persecution. Persecution. That's when there are entities that are particularly opposed to the Christian faith. Now, back in those days, persecution was very coercive. The Roman government was coercive. The, the Jewish leaders in many of these towns that were against Christianity were very coercive. They had power. It was people using power and asserting power over you. Now, I think a lot of times in our culture, persecution does not come in that way. It doesn't come in a coercive way, but it does come in a lot of different ways. It'll come in shame. It'll come in put down. It'll come in belittling. It'll come for some of you that are students when you're in a lecture and there's a, a professor who may speak snarkily, disparagingly of the Christian faith. It's when you're watching a TV show and, and again, the Christian faith is depicted in a very bad, in a very dishonest way. Over and over again, you see that in our culture. But it's persecution. It just is coming at your faith. It's coming against what you believe. And the third thing that he, that he talks about there is, is temptation. Temptation. He talks about the tempter. And it's really interesting if you look at the Greek word, the way he describes the tempter, he uses the word the whisperer. The whisperer. The one who whispers. And whereas things like trials are pretty, and persecution are pretty honest and overt, there's this thing called temptation, which is very slight sometimes. It is very subtle. In fact, when we read the story of the, the Garden of Eden and how man and woman fell uh, in the garden and they were given into temptation, one of the things that the writer of Genesis wrote is that the serpent, the tempter, it says he was more subtle, more crafty than all the other animals. And, and there's a subtleness about it. It's, it's, it's a temptation. It's to kind of move you off your commitment to Christ. And, and these are things that come against our faith. When Jesus was with Simon Peter, right before his crucifixion, and, and right before things went really bad, 
He looked at Peter and he said, Satan has asked permission. And he uses this phrase, to sift you like wheat. Whenever wheat is being sifted, they, they take the, the crop and they break it. They pound on it. And then they grind it and they just they grind it down to a real fine milled powder. And he says, that's what, that's what the devil's going to try to do to you. He is going to pound you. He's going to grind you. And, and, and these are things we can go through in our spiritual life. And it, it may be very different than it was years ago, but we can go through these times where we're, being, we're, being, we're going through trials. We're just going through tough times. We may get persecuted. There may be opposition. There may be things that we're facing and, and hearing that's antagonizing our faith. And then there are temptations. There are just things that we're, that we're going through within ourselves. And, and Paul is looking at this, and he's going, man, you guys are going through this, and I don't, I don't, you know, I was worried about you. I was worried about you. I was really, really concerned. And so what he did, he sent Timothy, and he said, the thing that I wanted him to do was to build your faith up, was to build your faith. And see, this is something really powerful that Jesus taught that the Bible teaches over and over again. A lot of times we want relief from tough times. We want relief from trials. We want relief from temptations. We want relief from persecution and, and people being against us. We'll, we'll, we'll try to create, you know, we'll gravitate toward environments that are less stressful and less strenuous on our, our faith quite often. And that is the wrong way to handle this battle and this conflict. You see, what, what, uh, what Paul is saying, he's saying, look, I wanted to send Timothy there to do one thing. I wanted him to build up your faith. See, so here's something remarkable. Jesus taught this. The Bible teaches this. Life will teach you this. Is that no matter what is coming against you, no matter what is you're facing in the arena you're in spiritually, there is something more powerful, there is something greater, there is something far more prevailing that God has put within us. And it's called faith. 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 Trust in Him. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things that aren't yet seen. By faith, all the Old Testament, all the stories we read in the Bible, by faith, those guys gained approval and won. And it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Jesus taught incredible things about faith. He said if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could speak to a mountain, and you could say to it, be moved and cast it into the sea, and it would obey you. Jesus one time was walking around, and there was a, a dad who had a son who was possessed with a spirit and was, you know, sprawling on the ground and losing it. And he came to Jesus, and he said to him, it's really kind of cool, it's in Mark chapter 9. He says to Jesus, help us if you can. And you know what Jesus replied back? He literally said, if you can. You know who, you know, if you can. But he said this to him. All things are possible to him who believes. In the midst of this horrific 
occasion for this man. Jesus looked at him and said, all things are possible to him that believes. There's something very powerful about faith. And if you keep reading in this passage, he goes on here and he continues to talk about uh, the the importance of this. Verse 6, but Timothy has just now come to us from you. It's brought good news about your what? Faith and love. He told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. And we are really lived since now you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in, your, in the presence of God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may again and supply, and supply what is lacking in your faith. Again, what he is saying here, and this is just such a powerful picture. He's saying, we want to strengthen your faith. We want to supply your faith. We want to grow your faith. We want to find out what's lacking in your faith and make sure it's there. But he goes, you know what, guys? We're so excited because we see you are doing what? Standing firm. You're standing firm. A plant needs the, the nourishment of water, doesn't it? We always want to water our plants, correct? Water your plant, water your tree, water, water, water. But you know what else that plant needs to grow? It needs what? Sunlight. It needs stress. It needs something on it. And it is this kind of wonderful combination of stress and tension and nourishment, this sort of balance that really creates health and growth. And what is true of, the, of our natural world, what's true of you and I physically, is true of us spiritually. We need both. We need the nourishment and we need the stress. And when you have stress and no nourishment, what happens? You die. But if you have nourishment and no stress, you know what you do? You become limp and you also die. And there's this balance. And Paul is seeing this balance in their lives. He's just rejoicing. And he says, that's why you're making it. That's why you are what you are. That's why you're the people that you are, is because there's this tremendous balance going on in your life. And then he goes into verse 11, and he says a prayer. And let's look at this prayer. Verse 11, there's three prayers. He says, may God the Father himself and the Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. May God clear the way. May God do it. Listen, there are some things in your life that God's going to just do it. God's going to have to clear it. God's going to have to be the one that makes it happen. He goes, may God clear the way. May God be the one that does it. I remember years ago when we started this church, I grew up in this particular church. I literally was baptized. It's not there anymore. But there was a baptismal back there. When I was uh, 10 years old, I walked the aisle of, of a revival. I, got, I asked Jesus into my heart, and I was baptized that Friday right there in this thing. And I, I um, always had, I just my, my, don't take this wrong, my style for a church, I, I'm not a lights, camera, action guy. I know that's kind of the thing to do today. I just, I like these old kind of, I like old buildings. I just like the classic kind of look. I just kind of like a, 
it's just my, my personal preference. And, and I remember I thought this would be the greatest place to have a church service for Classic City Church. It's old, like me. It's, it's, it, there's, a, there's a class too. I just kind of liked it. It just wasn't, I, this was just what I thought was ideal. And I remember just thinking, What's, I, that's the church I grew up in. And we went to the, the universe, the college that owned this, and they were like, no. They were very polite. No, no, no. And those of you who know me, I just kept, I couldn't let go of it. I just kept believing God for it. Kept asking the Lord for it. Over and over again, I'd talk about it. And this years went by and years went by. I remember we had a prayer meeting on Wednesday night, our Wednesday night prayer meeting, and my dear friend Alan Goddard prayed a prayer for it. And I just felt like, oh, yeah, that's, that's it. And we just kept praying and kept believing. And one day, literally out of the blue, the president of that college who had a much different approach to some things that were than, than I did. I didn't think they would ever do, but they, he just said, hey, we want you to come. We want to host you here. Out of nowhere, they just opened up. God made a way, and it was great for our church. Church grew and did fantastic. A lot of wonderful things have happened since then. But he says, let God make a way. Believe God. Pray for, there are things in your life you want to see happen that only God can do. And pray for them. Write those down. Pray for him to move. A lot of you are praying for your friends. You're praying for people on that bookmark that you live with and you work with, and you're just thinking, listen, pray for God to open a door, and you'll see doors open. Pray for God to make a way, and you'll see things happen. And this is what Paul's saying here. Pray that God himself, and it's really kind of cool, this verse is, well, anyways, let me just go to verse 12. Verse 12, he says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow to each other, and for everyone else, just as ours does to you. He says, you know what I want you to do? I want you to be believing God for things. I want you to ask God to move, but you know what else I want? I want you to love one another, and the way I want it to look like is like you're pouring water into a pot, and it just bubbles over. That's what love is like. It's just poured in, and it just bubbles, it's bubbles, it's flowing over. Because I just pray that your spiritual life, your, your, your relationship with each other would look that way. Like you're just bubbling over with love. And then in verse 13, he says, May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of God when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. May you be blameless and holy when he comes. One of the features of these letter in Thessalonians, in fact, as we get into it, Paul's going to talk a lot about the return of Jesus uh, in the next few chapters we look at it in the, the, the second letter he wrote to Thessalonians. He does a lot of that too, a lot more than any letter he wrote. And he's kind of teasing it some, these first few verses, this first few chapters. You know, he said some things in the end of chapter one, something at the end of chapter two, and now here at the end of chapter 3. But he says something. What he says here, if you read it, is really powerful. And it's really important. He says, you know, may God strengthen your heart. So that when Christ appears, you will be blameless and holy. Now, I'm going to tell you something very awesome. There's two aspects to this. One is, each of us, if we've received Christ as a Lord... In a sense, we are blameless and holy in the sight of God. Isn't that awesome? 
If Jesus is your Lord, if you've received him as your Lord, listen, you could, you could think of your sins as somebody just writing on a chalkboard everything you've done every time you sin, and, and that, that an eraser coming and just completely wiping it out. All the chalk, all the stuff just goes on this rag. And that's, that's literally what Jesus was like. He was like the rag absorbing what was on that thing and, and owning it for himself. He made it his own. It's a story in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Zechariah. It's a, one of the old prophets. It was written 500 years before Jesus. And in that book, there's this vision of this priest. His name is Joshua. And he's standing before God in, this, in the robe the priest wore. And his robe is just covered in filth. And, and by filth, I mean it's very, it's not just dirt. It was excrement. It's just awful stuff. I mean, it's smelly stuff you wouldn't want, you know, you wouldn't. And he's just standing before God in this filthy, smelly, detestable garment. And, and you and I on our own are just like that. Could you imagine standing before God, you and I, just like that? And what happens while he's standing there, Satan comes and starts accusing him. Starts saying, look at the, and he starts probably telling him what each of those spots were and where he was when he got them and, and, and how repulsive they are. And he's just sitting there kind of helpless. He's filthy before a holy God, and he has a condemner screaming at him about it. Any of you today going through something like that? I bet some of us are. I know I've been through it. I know what that's like. You really want to love God, really want to follow God, but you're aware of your sin, and there's, there's like a loud noise reminding you and condemning you. And, and, ta and, and this is what's going on. And then something amazing happens in this vision. God tells him to take that robe off. He takes it off. And he plunges it. And that robe comes up and it's just bright white, glistening clean. And he puts it back on him. And the noise of this accuser stops. And he stands before God and he's confident. And he's accepted. And he's unashamed. And this is what Paul is talking about. Getting to a place where we're strengthened in faith. And you know that's true of you. I want to say, if you're a Christian, if you're following Jesus, that's true of you. You are holy in the sight of God. You're blameless. You're free of accusation by his blood, by what he's done. Your robes are clean. Your standing before him is perfect. And Paul's saying, I'm just praying God will strengthen that truth in your life. That you won't think, oh my God, Jesus is coming and look what he's going to see. Where you'll go, Jesus is coming, I can't wait. That you can be confident to stand in the presence of God. And this is what he is talking about and this is the utter power of faith is to make you and I confident and secure and aware of what it is to be clean and unashamed 
in the presence of a holy God. This is what Paul's talking about here in this passage. So let me kind of put a bow on this real quick. You're, you're in a battle that's spiritual. And there are things that are they're coming after one thing in your life, and it's your faith. But that faith, if you hold on to it, that faith, if you develop it, that faith, if you grow it, is more than enough <clears throat> to cause you to stand absolutely firm and to be absolutely stable, no matter what is going on around you. And it is that faith that can cause you to stand unashamed, holy, and confident before Almighty God. It is a priceless, priceless thing. There's a song that was sung years ago by a band called Mercy Me. They're famous for having the number one song in, in the country at one time called I Can Only Imagine. You guys remember that song? I Can Only Imagine? You remember it? You want me to sing it? No, you don't. Just remember it then. I Can Only Imagine. But they sang another song that I thought was so great. It's called Unaware. And, and the lyrics are so powerful. It goes, Unaware of my sin, unaware of my shame. Nothing else matters but glorifying your name. And the guy's going, how can it be? How can it be that I'm really like this before Almighty God? And this is the great, great empowering gift that provokes faith that the Lord gives to us. The reality, the knowledge that we're clean in his presence. Let's, let's pray together. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for this great journey these people in this church went on. And we thank you that you know, our journey's like them. We, we face trials and we face opposition and we face temptation. And we pray that in the midst of all this that we're going through, that, Lord, you would make our faith strong. You give us confidence that you have given us a gift that will get us through this. A gift that is greater than any storm. A gift that is greater than any opposition. Again, it's a gift that's greater than any, any self-loathing, condemning feeling that may come on us because of our past or because of failures that we, we, we make. And, Lord, I pray that by faith... We would see you do things and move and open doors that we can't move. And by faith, we would be able to stand in your presence, blameless and holy. And Father, I pray for everybody here. I know there, there's just, I just know the numbers. I know the odds. There are your children here that are just struggling with condemnation, that are feeling rejected that are feeling dismissed from your presence because of sins they have struggled with or are struggling with. And Lord, I pray that you would, you would cause their faith in what Christ did on the cross to be powerful and resounding and to be louder than the voices they hear. Just as that priest, Joshua, stood and heard those voices, what you did was louder than the accusations. I pray that what you've done 
in our lives will be louder than all the accusations and all the condemnation and all the put down. And that we would stand at your appearing and we would be confident and we'd be holy and we'd stand blameless in your sight by what Christ did for us on the cross. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd make that powerful miracle real in our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.